DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Brian Kolbrowski, NBA draft writer for Hoops Hype. The draft, what is going to happen? Brian, good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good. Brian, is there any chance you can project what's going to happen or trade's going to scramble this whole thing early on? Nope, can't, can't predict it. Uh, it's absolutely wild right now. Um, I, I'm excited. Uh, I'm definitely uh, eager to find out um, who ends up where. And, um, you know, I think that this is going to be the kind of draft where uh, there, there are maybe some gems hiding in plain sight, and those are going to be the guys that are going to maybe uh, make the biggest influence moving forward uh, on helping the team's trajectory of becoming uh, successful in the NBA. Um, you know, and I think realistically, there's a ton of those guys. There's a ton of guys who I think uh, might be drafted outside of the lottery um, who are going to make a big impact. But uh, in terms of who goes where, that's when it gets really murky. You know, we always look at these mock drafts, and I'm a sucker for them. I, I don't know why. The NBA draft is my favorite draft. And so I look at all these mock drafts, and I'm trying to recall maybe it's just a recency bias, but it seems like this year. I'm seeing some guys in some mock drafts who are end of the first round, say 20s, and then you look at another draft, and they're in the 30s or 40s, and then it's vice versa. Uh, Does this just indicate how crazy this could be, particularly as we get past the lottery? Yeah, and you know what? I'm guilty of it, too. Uh, I'm very guilty of it, too. Um, And I think, you know, for one, um, you know, there's, there's differing opinions on players, right? Um, I think realistically, uh, it's, it's no surprise to think that, um, you know, my interpretation of what makes a good NBA player might be different than, you know, Jonathan Gavoni from ESPN or Sam Vesani from, uh, The Athletic. Um, but, you know, what it really comes down to is that I think outside of the top five or ten players, uh, there's actually a ton of parity in this class. I think that, um, people talk about it being a weak class, um, because, uh, there's not really a consensus top three, and I do think that's true. I don't think there's necessarily a uh, can't-miss product in this class, and I think that you know we've maybe been spoiled over the last few years with guys like Trey Young and Zion Williamson and Luka Doncic um, you know, entering the league and kind of being all-world type talents and something or other. Uh, there's nobody like that that has such an elite skill uh, in this class, and I think that might be marring some people's opinions. But I think outside of those, you know, names we're hearing within the top five picks or so, um, the difference between 14 and, and 45, you know, in this class um, on big boards and, and is kind of a matter of preference um, and also will be a matter of, you know, uh, a team's draft philosophy. Um, you know, I think that um, there are guys like uh, Xavier Tillman out of Michigan State um, or Cassius Stanley out of Duke um, who – you know, I personally love who I could see going, you know, as high as maybe even in the team, um, but, but falling to mid-second as well, uh, just because there's so many guys uh, that it really depends on the archetype that you're looking for. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, um, but I do think that, you know, a lot of it's going to be based on, um, you know, what a team values. Not necessarily team fit, not necessarily winning a point guard, but, you know, this guy interviewed extraordinarily well, or, you know, this guy's got... Um, really, really great, um, really great me- physical measurements or whatever it might be. And I think without the tournament this year, uh, that's really what it came down to to um, you know make a lot of your decisions. 
So without a tournament this year, uh, and without most of the conference tournaments, one of the last big shots belonged to Sam Merrill. Now, he's a little, yeah. on, he's a little on the older side. I've seen some second-round projections from him. What do, you think, what do you think happens to the Aggie star? Yeah, I, uh, I interviewed Sam. Um, I think that if he were, uh, he were a little younger, he could be the first-round talent based on his productivity. Um, obviously, uh, the development curve, you know, favors those who are older. When you're older against, you know, younger guys, you're probably going to have a little bit more success. But, you know, he's somebody who knows his role. Uh, he's somebody who, um, you know, doesn't mind having the ball in his hands at the end of the game. You know, big-time player. Uh, I think he's got great positional size, um, really, really solid assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, you know, he's got a really efficient jump shot. Uh, he's somebody who I think um, is going to surprise the team um, or surprise some teams uh, in terms of somebody who I think could go a little bit higher um, than maybe some, some mock drafts are projecting. Uh, because I think, you know, in a, in a situation where the, the league is starting in a few weeks, you know, to give the season starting back up, we're not going to have the typical – uh, cycle of of training camp and um, summer league, et cetera, of getting to know everything. Uh, Sam is someone closer to an instant contributor, um, you know, and I think there's also a real chance of him potentially being an undrafted free agent where he can kind of pick his destination as well, maybe get a guaranteed deal. I think he's that kind of a player uh, that a team would be interested in giving a guaranteed deal to um, because I think he's got, you know, so much unique talent as um, a uh, – as a ball handler, as a passer, and as a shooter. So without the tournament to, to focus on, I end up watching Pac-12 a lot because that's part of our job. There's a bunch of guys uh, that I wanted to ask you about because they could all be a te- potentially available for the Jazz when they draft 23. You know, you got two big guys, McDaniels and Stewart, out of Washington. Uh, you've got uh, Bay out of Colorado. you got three guys out of Arizona, uh, Nico Mannion and Josh Green and, and Najee. And then you got a kid out of Oregon who's sort of uh, cut of the uh, Sam Merrill mode and, and Pritchard. And all these guys might be available. Certainly a lot of them will be available. What do you think about as far as those guys relative to the Jazz? Yeah, and you know what? I, I went to Oregon, so I watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball myself. Uh, I've been following Peyton Pritchard since he was a high school recruit. Um, because, you know, he's somebody who won four straight high school titles uh, in Oregon. So as somebody who follows uh, Oregon basketball as closely as I do, um, it was obvious to me that he was somebody who should at least be on my radar. So uh, I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan of Peyton Pritchard. Um, I, of the guys you mentioned, I've interviewed uh, several of them. Um, and one that you didn't mention, who I'm actually highest on out of the entire lot from the Pac-12, is Stanford's Tyrell Terry. Um, but, you know, I've interviewed Tyrell Terry out of Stanford, as Stewart out of Washington, Southern Bay out of Colorado, Peyton Pritchard out of Oregon. Um, and those are the guys that I've at least personally had conversations with um, that are draft prospects out of the Pac-12. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, uh, Terry, Terry and uh, Stewart specifically jump off the page. Um, you know, Tyrell Terry is uh, slight, definitely a little undersized. Um, you know, young, uh, developing, fairly raw. But, um, you know, I've, I've heard from some NBA sources that he uh, shattered a record for uh, the best basketball intelligence measured that they've ever uh, done. There's a there's a basically an iPad that they send where you have to make the right reads. Um, and he got he made the right call every time, essentially. Uh, his understanding of the game is just 
close to flawless, it feels like, right? Um, and, and I think that's something that certainly goes, uh, you know, noticed from, from teams, is your understanding of basketball. Um, so he, he definitely, definitely has that. Um, and, and I, I really like him for that. And I think that he's somebody who's going to go, um, you know, maybe, maybe probably in the teens. I think he might be uh, the first player out of the Pac-12 draft. And then, you know, Isaiah Stewart's the other guy for me that really uh, jumps off the page as well because he's just oozing with confidence. He's a quote machine. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not saying his, his game is similar by any stretch uh, to Draymond Green, um, but he is going to be a type of player who will be able to list every player drafted before him to prove the, the doubters and the critics wrong. I mean, when I interviewed him, um, you know, there was just an electricity with the way that he spoke. Um, I, I couldn't believe, um, you know, some of the things he was saying. It's about the ways that he feels he's the best prospect in the class by proving it, by um, talking about individual matchups he's had against guys and, you know, just cooking them time and time again and guys ducking him and how, um, you know, the group workouts being canceled this year is probably a good thing for some of these prospects because they didn't have a chance to be, um, you know, embarrassed by him out there. And I think that, you know, with his with his massive wingspan and his uh, incredible motor and uh, just the, the electricity that he plays with, the intensity that he plays with, I'm fairly confident that he um, is going to make a name for himself um, in, a, in a front court rotation in, in some capacity. Um, so those are two guys that really stand out. Uh, Tyler Bay is another one that's interesting for me. Um, you know, he's he, he tested as the most um, – analytically impressive defensive player uh, in college basketball last year by, um, you know, some measurements, including uh, player impact plus minus. Um, that's one that I, that I like to use, and he had the best uh, defensive, you know, uh, mark in that regard in the country last year. And I think that's definitely worth mentioning. Um, you know, I think he's a, he's a good team defender, uh, tested really well at the combine too, you know, really athletic, um, you know, great, great vertical pop, you know, good, good leaper, um, you know, somebody who I think, uh, is going to be able to to lock down guys, and you know he also shot above forty percent in three point range last year too. So um, you know he he he's somebody who uh, I think has a little bit more of a hit or miss type of a quality to him. Um, but I, I do think that um, you know all of those guys are guys who who I've spoken with who who I'm I'm fairly sure are going to. Uh, be drafted, you know, in an impressive range on draft night. And then, you know, Peyton Pritchard obviously is somebody who, uh, like I said, I've followed since he was in high school, and I think he's going to, he's gonna, you know, have a long career in the NBA as well. Uh, I'm not sure if he necessarily uh, will be a starting point guard of the NBA. Um, I, I don't want to have egg on my face if that's the case because uh, he, he's kind of proven, you know, um, year over year over year in his life that you know, he can start off in a smaller role and, you know, be – be a little bit more willing to, to grind it out and, um, you know, continue to, uh, you know, be uh, somebody who's worth watching for, for a long period of time. Um, and, and I think Peyton Pritchard is uh, somebody who, who I think is going to make a team really happy as well. Brian Kelbrowski joining us, NBA draft writer for Hoops Hype. Uh, Yoli Childs only took two three-point shots his freshman year at BYU. By the time he was done, he was shooting 49% from three. Does stepping out and hitting those shots get the NBA guys' attention, and if so, to, to what degree? Yeah, you know, I think Yoli Child will, be, will, have, a, will have a you know, good professional contract on his hands, um, you know, by, probably by this time tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, or not this time tomorrow, uh, but this time Thursday. Um, the draft's at night tomorrow. Uh, I think he, he's somebody who, 
is one of the most uh, mature and NBA-ready uh, players in this entire class. And I think that, you know, in a draft marred by uncertainty, um, you know, he, he kind of feels, you know, closest to, to comfort food. And I think he's going to be somebody who, um, you know, really, really rose, uh, really, really continued to rise uh, during the draft interview process. Um, you know, a lot of teams that he spoke with um, assuredly came away very impressed with him. You know, he, he's not a kid. You know, he's, he's a married man who um, understands the game uh, at a high level, uh, super high character guy, uh, and somebody who you just trust is going to make the right decisions as he continues his professional career. Um, I think he tested a lot better than people expected at the Combine as well. Um, very fast, you know, very, very impressive uh, leaping skills as well. And, you know, I think like you said, you know, the, the three-point shot is, is nothing to uh, discount either. I think that, you know, he, he, he wasn't exactly Steph Curry or anything. He's not, you know, Davis Bertans either in terms of just being a, a big who can shoot. But he is uh, somebody who, who chose his shots very carefully uh, and made the right uh, calls. And um, I think by the time that, you know, his, his final collegiate season was under wraps, uh, he had proven that he uh, definitely knows how to take and make a three-pointer. Brian, we appreciate a few minutes to talk a little bit about the draft, as wildly unpredictable as we expect it to be. We look forward to watching it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Brian Kobrowski, NBA draft writer for Hoops Hype. DJ and PK talking Utah football with Frank Dolce. His weekly visit coming up next. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. To steal Bowler's phrase, buckle up, because it's going to be wild here in the NBA for the next couple of weeks, and certainly already off to a, a big start with a big trade in the NBA. Oklahoma City Thunder, they have 16 first-round draft picks in the next seven drafts. But we've got the draft on Wednesday. Free agency begins Friday. Things are about to get real nuts real fast. This is one thing that every sports fan in this state will be keenly interested in, is what's going to happen here. It's going to be fun to see what major changes are made and even some of the minor changes might be impactful the big show weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone pk what a morning dylan collie's been on kyle whittingham talking BYU and then Utah football and then Brian Kelbrowski, NBA draft writer for Hoops Hype. We have talked about BYU getting a payoff from uh, basically running up the score. Style points, beauty pageant. So many things to hit this morning. What would you like to refresh? Before we check in with Frank Dolce here in a few minutes, what would you like to bring people up to speed on for the people just joining the show? They've missed so many gems. Well, you've got all all those things that you mentioned. Yeah, they're all great topics. You know, we've gone through the dry months of the summer with no sports and in the spring, and now we got a bunch of them. And the NBA draft is definitely my favorite draft. I mean, baseball, you never really know because there's so many guys you don't even see play. It doesn't get the run. Uh, and ba- football, i got to admit, I'm not breaking down offensive linemen. But basketball, you know, we've seen all these guys. I'm, I'm jacked for the draft, even though it's at a weird time and my level of anticipation – wasn't there because it would be building for weeks, but it's here tomorrow night, and I'm I'm way excited. I mean, absolutely, I'm going to be sitting in front of the television watching it every single pick, and I'm going to make my own 
judgment. Oh, that's a great pick. That sucks and all that stuff. I still believe the Jazz, and maybe it's because there's a lot of Pac-12 guys available, and I watch a lot. I mean, that's why I got the second uh, freaking cable system so I can get Pac-12 Network because I don't get it at DirecTV, and people may have known that's a little bit of a sore subject. But, you know, the football, most of the time all the games are on, but the basketball is specifically why I got it because they put so many games on that uh, Pac-12 Network, and I've watched all these guys, and there's like six, seven guys at the Pac-12 that can go, and I sort of think all of them are players. Now, I'm not a talent evaluator at the NBA level, but I'm excited to see where these guys go. And our last guy just said about uh, Stanford's Tyrell Terry, and he came on. A six-three skinny. He's only like one seventy, uh, but he got better as the season went on. And then he said, "Oh, he tested better in terms of the base basketball's version of uh, the IQ test." Well, of course, he went to Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> you needed. I already a, knew that. You needed a test. <laughs> yeah, that's not a shock. That's no knock against the other guys. But I mean, we know the Stanford kids. Their level of intelligence is, is very good. All right, DJ and PK, it is time to bring in Frank Dolce, our Utah Insider for the Zone Sports Network. Frank, good morning. Good morning, guys. Hope everyone is doing well. Yes. We have multiple things to discuss with you today. Uh, But before we get to a game, uh, you were eloquent on TV, uh, but you're limited in time there, and I didn't get to use everything you said. But uh, Bill Marcroft meant a lot to you, and so just... Uh, he passed away this weekend, the voice of the youth, a longtime KUTV sportscaster. Just a word about you know, how he impacted you. Well, uh, Bill was uh, just, it, it's hard to describe him in, in just a couple minutes. He was unique and um, he was passionate and he was in lots of ways he was larger than life and he carried around a big personality and um he was in lots of ways one of the best human beings i i've ever known in the way that he interacted with people and especially interacted with fans who always wanted to talk to him about, you know, what was happening with Utah athletics and um, and the way that he treated his family and the, the people around him. It just, it always felt like, you know, I always felt like I was meaningful to Bill. And I think that anyone who ever interacted with him would say the same thing, that they were they were meaningful to Bill. Forget you, Frank. He was my best friend, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we could probably go the rounds with that. I mean, I've been reading all the stuff that's been w- written about him, and um, you know, guys like White, like Wesley Ruff, considers Bill like you know, like it feels like he feels like Bill's his best friend, and. <laughs> And you you hear Coach Whittingham's comments, and you talk to Coach McBride, um, and he was he he was one of the few people I think who had kind of a deeper relationship um, or a more meaningful relationship with Rick Majerus. And I don't know if anybody had that. I mean, he was Coach Majerus was a was a tough dude. Um, 
And so I think there's a lot of that going around. It's like, no, Bill's my best friend. You know, no, he's my best friend. And that's, I think that's one of the things about him that is unique. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, uh, Monson's doing a piece on him, and, he, and I talked to him on the phone. He told me that he had spoken to you and, and, and got some good stuff from, from you about him. One of the things that, especially in this day and of the media when we don't know who we can trust i don't think it gets enough run that because of his uh play-by-play stuff people remember him from that but i don't think he gets enough run as far as he was a trusted newsman now it was before you and i got to this community and dj also but in his day from what i've been able to gather listening to him and to others he was he was a great journalist and i think that's something that needs to be right there with what goes on or what went on with his broadcasting career? There's no question that uh, he, in, in his career, he did meaningful, he did meaningful things. And he's, he's part of that. Um, you know, what we, I, I guess what we hoped uh, the media would be, and, and the media has degraded certainly right. into something else. And and Bill was part of the you know hey we, we're gonna we're gonna tell the story and we're gonna tell the truth and you know we don't necessarily pick sides it just the, the story is the story and he he that was one of the things that he he kind of taught me in broadcasting is you know we're all fans so obviously I I lean toward the Utes and, and Bill leaned toward the Utes and, but, but you have to, you have to tell the story with some objectivity to have any credibility. And, and I feel like that's a valuable thing that, that Bill taught me. So even when it's not going well for, for my team, you still have to tell the story. And, and I think that's what he did throughout his, his life and throughout his career. And if you look back on the beginning of his career, you know, starting at the university of Utah and, and going in through the, through the air force and the armed services. And um, I think that was meaningful to him. And it's certainly the way that he told the story was meaningful to lots of people. Frank Dolce, Utah insider joining us here. Uh, All right. So if we're going to tell the truth about the upcoming football season, I guess the first question is, do you believe the youth season will actually kick off this weekend? This will be the first game. What's the over-under? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Are you 60-40 that they play USC? 80-20 that they play USC? Where are you, Frank? Yeah, it sounded like, I mean, I listened to, I listened to Coach Witt on your air a few minutes ago, and it sounds like they're they're, it sounded like he was more optimistic anyway. They're heading in the right direction, and so I would guess. And and the game's not being played in California, so um, leadership in California can't necessarily well, – I guess they could. I guess they could tell USC not to go. You can't necessarily dictate what's going to happen. So I'm guessing – I feel pretty confident this is going to be the one. Uh, but I don't know that I feel confident about, uh, you know, a bunch of the other games. I, it feels to me like if Utah gets four games in this year, then they're going to be then they're going to be really lucky. 
So I, and if we're talking about you know truth in in journalism, I I think that the Pac-12 has in lots of ways mismanaged this whole situation. And I'm certainly not a, a BYU fan. Uh, I'm a fan of Kalani Sataki. I always say that. But but uh, the way that the way that BYU has managed this um, seems much more reasonable and um, with with much more integrity than than the way the Pac-12 has managed this whole thing. Yeah, I know, man. They should have been playing games earlier because then it gives you the flexibility as these other conferences are doing. The fact that Utah very well could only play four games because I think next week's game against ASU is highly in doubt, and maybe they can reschedule something and get something in there, and hopefully for them they can. But it seems, man, it just seems ridiculous. And in and of itself, as far as the Pac-12, okay, I could live with it. But the problem with the Pac-12, it's like a a buffet, a cafeteria style of screw-ups. And which one do I want to pick out? And then you put it all together, and gosh, this thing is just woefully, inadequately mismanaged. Yes, absolutely. And and you have uh, you, you look at examples across. First of all, let me just say, obviously the the the, the health and safety of the kids is that that's prominent. That should be the top of the list, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we have enough information that shows that even even with even with the positive tests and even with kids who are who have uh, maybe a little more aggressive. Uh, symptoms. The 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 result after a, a quarantine period or a period of you know ten fourteen days, the results have been good. Have been very positive. We look at a Virginia Tech football team that that lost twenty three or twenty four players and, and and still was able to play a game and win a game, and and they're you know it seems like they've come out the other side doing okay, and I think that's probably the story across the country is that. You know, kids get it. People are going to get it. It's not going away. We have to learn to manage it. We have to learn to live with it. And we keep getting better at dealing with it every day. But, but the, the, the whole story seems to be like, you know, you're gonna, people are going to get it, and you, you deal with it, and you get over it, and then you, you move on. And it just doesn't feel like a couple of, oh, I, I don't know, I, I guess I'm going to say states, were willing or have been willing and continue not to be willing to figure out how to live with it. It's more about locking everything down and shutting everything off and going indoors. And that attitude has, has, has been kind of a heavy hand on how the Pac-12 has managed the whole thing. I just think it goes back to the Pac-12's got a moron at the top. Let's not sugarcoat it. Don't sugarcoat it. Bill Marcroft doesn't want you to sugarcoat it. It is easy to sit in Utah and blame liberals in California. But San Jose State went to Humboldt State and found a way to play. San Diego and Fresno have found a way to play. They're in more conservative parts of California, so is that the reason? No. It's because they got the antigen tests and then they sat on their hands. They didn't do anything. Be more conservative. LSU's had two outbreaks. I could find you people in Utah who believe the SEC 
not no, no, not the SEC. Some SEC coaches told their guys, go to the club and get it, and then we'll be fine for the season. I've been told that by people who work in Utah, who know SEC people. Now LSU's got a second outbreak. I don't think that's very responsible. But LSU apparently knew Darius guys had multiple allegations of sexual assault against him, and they just uh, keep playing. I mean, just win at all costs in the SEC. The Big Ten and the Mountain West were cautious. They were way more cautious than the other leagues, and they're still finding a way to play eight-game schedules. And the Mountain West has got three teams in California. So you got to look at the league office. The league office screwed it up. There's nothing else to say. The, the teams in California answer to the same, not completely, the same state politicians. They don't answer to the same local politicians. And so to the degree that one county in California acts different than another county, okay, you got that. But it wasn't the Mountain West commissioner or the Big Ten commissioner who said, we got a game changer as a Pac-12 commissioner. But his game changed way slower than everybody else's game. What are we doing? Why? Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> well said. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to wind you all up today. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was seriously. Yeah. Well, Stop tying your shoes together. I, Get on with it. I I don't I don't disagree with that. I think we've seen over the course of of the you know the recent leadership in the Pac-12 several examples of mis mismanagement and this is just the latest example of mismanagement and and um you know without being without being political um you know i'm curious about where 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 he lies um and and where he he finds his information because whatever he's looking at uh, and whatever the conference is looking at doesn't necessarily align with what everybody else is looking at, and I think you're, you're you're right. You put the SEC on the other extreme. I mean, that's 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 kind of nuts as well. But but there is some landing spot in the middle, and the Pac-12 keeps missing somehow missing that spot. So if 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 the current leadership survives this, I, you know, I don't know what to say about the Pac-12, but other than they're just going to doom doom themselves to to becoming a, a second class citizen in, in the Power Five. So that's interesting. We should run a poll. Who did Larry Scott vote for for president? That would be an interesting. That'd be a very interesting <laughs> poll. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Kanye. Ah, <laughs> you're gonna go with the West man. I know someone who actually from the state of Utah who voted for Kanye West. <laughs> I know I know several people. I know several people who did who voted for Kanye. I mean that that should tell you something about. We're, we're, I don't want to get off on a tangent. That should tell you something about the choices maybe that we had for the top spot in the, in the nation. I hear you. That people yeah. that people just couldn't figure out where to vote, and so the vote went to. To Kanye, um, who who has very very little chance of of being in that position, um, but you know it's uh, it, it's that the state of politics um, in the United States is challenging Crazy. at the moment, to say the least. 
I voted for Kanye because, in effect, I thought I was voting for Chris Jenner, and Chris Jenner manages my second cousin's entertainment career, so I feel a bond there. And her, my second cousin, her grandparents are my godparents. So I feel like even though I've never met Chris Jenner and Kim, I feel like I've known them all my life. That doesn't. It sounds like you're not making that up. That sounds I'm not like making that it up. An, that's an actual thing. <laughs> that is an actual well, thing. <laughs> yes, it's an actual thing. Yes. That, that may have been the best story I've heard in a long time. Like, if you could write that out, could you send that out in a tweet? Just write that whole thing out. My second cousin is related to the third nephew of the fourth whatever. No, no, Put no. That in very, a tweet. Very simple. My second cousin, my cousin Gordon's daughter, is her manager is Chris Jenner. Now, my second cousin, her grandparents are my godparents. My mother's sister is her grandmother. I not only didn't follow that the second time, oh, come I, on. I still don't care. Super simple. Yep. <laughs> it is real easy to follow. My second cousin's manager, my second cousin's grandparents are my godparents, a big tradition in the Catholic Church. That's my mother's sister. My Aunt Rose is the grandmother of Chris Jenner's client. Come on. Basic stuff here. Frank, what, I'd, I'd like to fit Clay- in one USC football question. Would that be okay? Yeah, I don't know. Is Clay Helton related to the Jenners? Probably. <laughs> I'll check. <laughs> okay, yes. So, Go Trojans. Let's hear about it. Earlier in the show, PK brought up the fact that USC used to be a running school. And now they're a passing school, and they put so many receivers in the NFL. And now they got four more guys on their roster, and it looks like two are going to the NFL sooner, and then a couple more will follow later just because they're younger guys and won't be eligible. They are throwing the ball 49 times a game. And yet, through two games, they're also averaging 36 rushes a game. And so we can sit here and do a lot of things, but... Why in the world are they getting 85 snaps a game? Can the Utah offense run the ball? Can Utah's offensive line beat USC's defensive line, shorten the game? Because Kyle Williams got to look at the stats and think, there is no way we can allow USC to snap the ball 85 times. they got too many playmakers. That's a problem. Reaction. The, 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 problem, the problem is uh, USC should still be a, uh, a, running, a running team. And I, I don't know. They they had a couple guys that were averaging well over six yards a carry, and and then they still threw the ball for forty times. Um, and I, I I don't know. I I I talking about mismanagement. I I really like Clay Helton. I I I think he's a fantastic person, fantastic human being, and I I don't know that he he has figured out how to how to maximize the talent he has available. And it seems like that's that may be happening again this year. All that said, I, I think Utah has a better shot at stopping the run against USC. I feel better about the front seven of Utah without any game film on them than I do about the you know the back four guys and all of the youth in the, in the defensive secondary. And so, 
a USC team that's able to drop back and throw the ball with some efficiency 40 times in a game against Utah seems like a seems like a difficult affair for the Utes. So I agree with you. I, I think Utah is going to have to figure out, and I like what Utah has on offense. I think they're going to have to figure out a way to to run the ball, to manage the clock, to control the game on the ground, and and uh, to put themselves in a position to to take a take a lead into the into the fourth quarter. Although for for USC that hasn't seemed to be a problem. They they've had magical fourth quarters a couple a couple games. So. Um, the the biggest thing to me about this football game is in a typical year, the way that USC is playing right now, uh, and and the way I would assume Utah to be playing in their first two games, I would say at home Utah has the advantage in this in this football game. If if all things were equal, if if Utah had played two games and USC had played two games, and now they're meeting for the third game of the season in Salt Lake City and based on the way that USC has played. The problem is that, that Utah hasn't played any games. And, and as goofy as, as USC wins have looked, they have two games of experience under their belts. And not only that, but they probably have the most talent uh, in the Pac-12. And those, those factors combined – make it a very difficult task for Utah in game one. Utah's going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Uh, although I really like the offensive line, I really like the running backs. Uh, I still think there's question marks with the receivers. I really like the tight end group. You just don't, you, you know, it's just hard to tell. You just don't know. So, um, and, then, and then all of the inexperience on the defensive side that we've talked about. So, I, I would have to give the edge to USC on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, just because, you know, two games under the belt, two games of, of experience versus a very young and a very inexperienced Utah team. Frank, as always, we appreciate the time. We especially appreciate the kind words about uh, Bill Marcroft, who PK and I uh, both had a fond spot for. So uh, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Bill, Bill, one of a kind. He's a legend. Um, always will be, to me, the one and only voice of the youth. Frank Dolce, our youth insider, joins us every week here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Soaringo Networks is home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an interest in SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at SoaringoNetworks.net. Feedback. We're, all, we're almost out of time already. Gage, however, says, I can't wait for you guys to be able to talk more about the Jazz in the coming weeks. We are now less than, what are we, five weeks to the start of the season, PK? Oh, I'm totally jacked for yeah. it. I, I miss it big time. I, tonight, I want to watch an NBA game tonight, and yep. I can't, and it bothers me. Two weeks to, to uh, training camp. So yeah. there you go. The, the countdown is on. Uh, we got multiple people that are interested that multiple Jazz point, ex-point guards are being traded. George Hill is in the Milwaukee deal uh, for Drew Holiday going to New Orleans, and Ricky Rubio in the uh, deal. People people love their jazz guys, even their ex-jazz guys. Rubio's going from Phoenix to Oklahoma City in the Chris Paul deal. Yeah, Rubio treated, uh, tweeted out something like, oh, this business, because I think he liked it in Phoenix, and now he's on the move again. The good thing is he's still in the NBA. Right. And that, that's, that's great. 
George Hill having him move around is surprising, man, because I thought that one problem was he wasn't healthy much, but I thought he was an excellent player for the Jazz, but he's moved around a lot for a player of his caliber. Rubio, you can understand. Although it was a controversial move, I think, for the Suns to trade a th- for a 35-year-old guy as they're yeah. trying to build something. Yeah, but I think they're just looking like it. They're looking for a bridge to the playoffs. And if he gets in the playoffs, they're going to declare victory and move on. And I got to say, I'm surprised now. Chris Paul's been traded with that contract. He's been traded multiple times. I never thought that would happen. Yeah, and that was the big thing reading all that stuff yesterday. Oh, it's an untradeable. No, nothing no, is. Right. Two I years and $85 million. Which is something no for the Jazz to consider as they go through the Rudy Gobert thing, you know? It, That's exactly what I thought. Because it's like, well, they do that, they wouldn't be able to trade him. Like, Rudy will take a lottery team and turn them into a playoff team, improving their defense. So, and that's exactly what Phoenix is gambling on, right? Chris Paul is yeah, going to be able yeah, to turn yeah. us into a playoff game. And it may not work, but it's a decent bet. It's not a ridiculous bet. Well, you know, and the problem is the West. better than Rubio. Right. And the problem is the West is so competitive. You know, they could be much better and yet still. Yeah, they're, but they're jacked about going 8 0 in the bubble. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Carson just tweeted at us that Larry Scott voted for himself for POTUS. And why can't you guys figure that out? That's funny. I'll yeah, give it to Carson. Right. That's a decent line. We're way over. Yak is waving me here. we got to get out of here. Uh, coming up, Hans and Scotty. Stay with us.